Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Right, great to be with you. Cool. How about we pray? Can never pray too much. That's what I think. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you, Lord, that you never bring us somewhere just because there's a ritual to go through or, you know, a few items to tick off, God, but you are our Heavenly Father and you want to bring life and you want to bring liberty and you want to bring release and you want to bring increase and you want to bring revelation and you want to bring favour into our life. And so, God, we thank you that as we get into your word, it speaks to us in incredible ways and lives inside of us. It's got the power to bring change. So, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the worship that opens our heart. God, would you just open our mind to hear what you want to say to each one of us. Lord, I believe that there are people here tonight and tonight is going to be the turning point for them in their life. And so, Father, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn with me to uh, one verse only, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Lots of you will know this verse. You'll have heard it at any rate. And uh, it'll be up there on the screen. Hopefully you can see it still. Uh, If it's, uh, this is not in your way. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. This is a bit of a sequel to this morning where I spoke on the journey of enlarge. We felt that this year, the word of the Lord to us at Metro for the entire year was enlarged out of Isaiah 54 verses 1 through to 5. And so it's proven to be. And yet I think uh, for many of us, you would kind of go, well, it hasn't exactly unpacked the way we imagined it was going to. And so I want to continue that and speak to you tonight about the reversal of fortune. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says this, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. This is a promise from God for you and for your future and for your world, for every single one of us. It's not a maybe or a could be or wouldn't it be nice if, but every single one of you that's listening right now, no matter what it is, no matter what you're going through right now, whether you are at the top of the mountain uh, in terms of your family life, your relationships or your career or in your spiritual life or whether you feel so far from God and so far from success that you wonder if you will ever get back up again, this promise is for all of us. It says, I'll read it to you again, and we know, that all things, all things work together for good. Not the good bits, not the bits that I can see the handprint of God on, but every part, every part, even the strange parts that I wonder how on earth God has allowed that to happen to my life. No matter which part, it says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and a call according to His purpose. Now I want to take you to a story in the life of the Apostle Paul and just unpack this for you. Then I want to go to someone in the Old Testament and show you something as we kind of get into that. And you're going to have to pardon my scribbly writing. I just kind of say it's because I'm left-handed. And all the left-handers in the building said, 
Amen. How many left-handers do we have here, the favourite of God? Look at you. Look at all those. See, look at the magnificent left-handers. Uh, I've got a book at home one of my kids bought me years ago. It's literally that thick and it's called Famous Left-Handers of the World. Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, Isaac Newton. It's like, hello, name somebody amazing and they were left-handed. I'm not sure if Jesus was left-handed, uh, but you know, He sits at the right hand of the Father. So I know that God is on the left. Amen. So just stay with me here, all right? So Acts 28, let's read this together. Uh, the Apostle Paul is on a ship on his way to Rome and he, they've, they've gone through a terrible storm and they got shipwrecked, all right? So let's have a look at this. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they'd waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us, treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him, laying his hands on him, he healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. As a result, we were showered with honours. And when the time came to sail, the people supplied us with everything that we would need for the trip. So follow this with me here a minute. And I'm going to just draw up here two columns. This column over here is called good. This column over here is bad. And uh, you can all read that writing, can't you? Yeah, of course you can. It's just beautiful. Amen. And uh, if you don't have the gift of interpretation, we'll pray you get that as we go. So let's just go through this. First of all, Paul's in a storm and he's shipwrecked. And if I ask you, is being shipwrecked good or bad? Well, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? It's bad. Huh? Anybody ever been shipwrecked? Just not a good thing. You have been shipwrecked? Well, really? Really? You've been shipwrecked? Like really, really shipwrecked? Well, hello about that. Who could ever believe that? Shipwrecked. You'll have to tell us about it sometime. So we, was it good or bad? Did you feel like it was, it was bad? It was nothing happy about it. You didn't go, woo insurance kicks in, new boat. You went, no, 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 all bad. So this guy gets all this stuff happening, but at least he's alive. And I say at least he's alive because under Roman law, if you were guarding a prisoner and the prisoner escaped, your life was taken for the life of the prisoner. In other words, you would die. And so when this storm happened and it looked like the ship was going to be wrecked, the, all the soldiers went to go and kill Paul and everybody else uh, that was a prisoner on the boat. But the leader of the army of the, of the team that was there stopped them because God gave Paul favour. 
And so the guy actually comes out of alive. Is coming out alive good or bad? It's good. Yeah, that's, this is pretty complex. And you've, you know, this is a massive IQ test tonight. So stay with me here. So he comes out of there, but at least they're on the island and they get helped by the locals. You know, the local people, instead of just saying too bad, we've got enough problems of our own, uh, they get helped by the locals. Is that good or bad? It's good, isn't it? They get helped by that. But then Paul decides he's going to start collecting wood and he gets bit by a snake. Now, let me just check here in case anybody in this place has ever been bitten by a snake. Anybody ever been bitten by a snake? Let me just check. We've got shipwreck. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a snake bite. Uh, No one's ever been bit by a snake. Let's imagine it for a minute. Uh, I saw one last Monday walking the dog about, well, it was just really big. Not quite as big as me, but it was big enough for me to give it a very wide berth. And uh, is being bit by a snake good or bad? It's bad, isn't it? You just kind of go, that's crazy. But then he shakes it off into the fire, uh, you know, and everybody starts going, obviously he's a murderer. In other words, they're going, this guy is escaping, but, you know, divine justice, it's karma. Obviously he deserves it. You know what it's like when you go through something bad and people around about start wondering what you did wrong in order to get this thing happening? Where did you miss? If you're a Christian, it's even worse because hello, now you've missed the will of God. How could you be so stupid? And what's the matter with you? And obviously God is against you. And you kind of go, is that good or bad? It's bad, isn't it? Nobody likes being in that kind of space. And if that's never happened to you, hold your breath because probably somewhere before you die, that's going to happen to you where some well-meaning Christian who ought to know better, instead of encouraging you, starts piling it on top of you and encouraging you with things like, well, don't worry, you'll be dead soon. Uh, You know, good stuff like that. Or they love to tell you things like, God is teaching you something, brother. You know, like, hello, which is just the dumbest thing on the planet. I'm a father of three, grandfather of three. I can no more imagine saying to my nearly three-year-old grandson, let me teach you that fire is bad for you. Here, look, here's a fire. Let's put your hand in it. See how hot that is? See how the blisters have come up? I'm teaching you. And yet people go around saying, God, give them that disease and curse them with that and, and send them broke and all this stuff. But God was teaching them. Really? You're making out like God is a worse parent than you are. And nobody here can honestly say that. So anyway, he shakes the snake off. And instead of dying, he lives. Is that good or bad? It's good. Well, the whole thing starts turning around. I'll put this up there because I want you to see something. I want you to see that all things, Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. He's got such a mixture and this is just one thing in his life. Well, it's so amazing that they then decide he's actually a God. That's really good. Then the entire island of Malta, it's a nation today. The entire nation of Malta decides that they are now open to the gospel. Is that good or bad? Come on. It's like uber good. 
Huh? It's like really good. Do you know that Publius, history tells us, got converted and became the first bishop of the church in Malta and served it for 30 years, leading a revival in the nation of Malta. Finally went to Athens, the center where Paul preached on Mars Hill, goes to Athens and begins to lead the church there. From whence he became a martyr. He was martyred for the gospel and it all came out of such a mixed bag, such a whole lot of, are you kidding me? Where is God in this? What on earth's going on? But we started off by saying in this journey of enlarge that it's, uh, get the, the, the podcast or whatever of this morning. But we started off saying tonight that Romans 8.28 says, it's all things that work together for good. And out of all of this that went on, unless Paul had got shipwrecked, there never would have been the gospel established on the, in the island of Malta, in the nation of Malta today. Never would have been established. And it all came out of a disaster. It all came out of a bad thing. It all came out of something going so pear-shaped. Think about it a minute. Paul is wet, he's cold, he's snake bit, and he's lost everything he owns. All their possessions disappeared. They'd thrown everything off the boat to lighten it. And yet somehow or other, out of the worst night and the worst day of their life, somehow or other, God has got the capacity to turn what looks like the worst night and the worst day into the best day for His purpose, into the greatest moment for what God wants to do. And so Paul's in the middle of all this, but we probably shouldn't be too surprised because guess who wrote that? Huh? It's Paul's epistle to the Romans. And I wonder, because he, he wrote it to the Christians at Rome, I'm wondering if this wasn't in his mind when he said, by the way, all things work together for good. I'm wondering if he wasn't casting his mind back to a shipwreck and casting his mind back to a snake coming out and biting him and the opinion of everyone saying, well, you know, he deserves it. And yet somehow or other, or out of all of that, God manages to bring out something phenomenal into his life. You've got to know tonight that bad is never permanent and good is always coming. He shakes it off. And what looks like calamity is actually a step forward for the Gospel. Let me tell you tonight, that the, your enemy always oversteps the mark. Your enemy will always go further. He'll always overstep the mark. He thinks he's got you. He thinks he's surrounded you. We sing a song from time to time, I'm surrounded, I'm surrounded by you. Because there's lots of times in life where we go, God, look what's happening. How many people have ever noticed, I'm not saying bad things come in threes or any of that nonsense, but sometimes you can kind of, has anybody in this place apart from me ever looked at stuff going on in your life and going, what next? Or am I the only one? Uh, some of you, you're too young to have had any trouble yet. Huh? But can I say to you tonight, I want you to get this because I want your faith to be established in more than how you feel and a high that you get uh, from time to time in worship as much as I love all the highs of God. After all, He is the most high. So it's not a surprise. Someone said to me once, you Christians, you are like high. I go, that's because we worship the most high. Huh? 
But I want your faith to be established in a lot more than just that so that if you're going through a tough spot where stuff looks like, you know, you're just kind of going, hello, I'm filling up the bad column. I want you to remember this. Your enemy always oversteps the mark. He is not God. He doesn't know the plan of God. He doesn't know where it's going to go. He's just trying to oppress. As Jesus said, the thief comes not but for to kill and to rob and to destroy. Oh, look at those wonders of modern technology. Huh? Huh? Woo! Old school. Let me take you, I promised I'd take you to another story, an Old Testament story. I'm not going to read it all to you because it's several chapters, but let me just go through the story with you, enough for you to be able to follow along with me. It's the story of Joseph. Joseph's the favourite son of his dad. Let's go down here again. Good, bad. He's favoured by his father. I'm not sure whether that's good or bad, to be quite frank. I know he gets the coat of many colours. Is that good or bad? Well, I don't know. Created jealousy, who knows? Maybe dad, really, if he'd been wiser, wouldn't have played favourites, but whatever. Let's leave that aside for a minute. But let's come to the story where the brothers are so ticked off with him because of the dreams he's had that they say, we're going to kill him. Hello, kill. Come on, help me out here, huh? What is it? Is it going to be good or bad? Anybody here ever been killed? Just checking. Well, we have got the shipwreck, no snake bite, going for the next one. Uh, all right, so that's bad. They go, we're going to kill. But then they go, one of them, the, the eldest brother, Reuben, speaks up and says in a moment of conscience, let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. Well, praise God for that. <laughs> I hear you say. But how many people, anybody here? Ever, no, I can't ask the question. <laughs> How many people know straight up, you don't need to have a, you know, a road scholarship to know that's bad. He's sold into slavery, but here's the deal. He's sold into slavery to the Ishmaelites who take him to Egypt. Now I'm going to say to you, I think that's good. Why? Because it was the centre of power of the ancient world. And if you're going to go anywhere, then you want to go somewhere where at least there's opportunity for your life to rise. He's not taken somewhere where life was cheap. He's taken somewhere where there's opportunity. He's sold into the house of Potiphar. And you say, was that good or bad? Well, I guess it's bad he was a slave, but it was good that it was Potiphar because evidently Potiphar is a leader who recognises talent. He's somebody who's willing to trust. And so he gives Joseph the whole leadership and management of his entire household, which was not taking out the rubbish every Tuesday night. It wasn't feeding the dog or something or other else like that. When he says he gives the guy the management of his house, it is an entire estate and he's put it number one. He's given responsibility, not only over the other slaves, but over the other staff. He's got authority over everybody in the place. So that's gotta be a good that's going well now, isn't it? But then unfortunately, Potiphar's got a wife. And if you don't know, why the, know the way the story goes, let me explain it to you. Potiphar's wife, she suffered with a, well, she just, she kind of just went, oh, a toy boy has come to live in my house. 
Well, it's a, it's a fact. She's cougaring away like crazy and just going like, we got this guy and what did I say? Something bad? Anyway, well, it's the, read the story. And so she says to, this is what she says. She says to Joseph, come lie with me. Come sleep with me. And is that good or bad? It's bad. It's just bad. And he says, no, how could I dishonour God? Not what if your husband finds out. But how could I dishonour God? I can't do that. And so then from there, he goes to jail. How many people think that's good or bad? Come on now. I'm not going to ask anybody, Ben. It's bad. He goes to jail for a crime he did not commit. Because when Potiphar comes home, she says, he had tried to assault me. And so Potiphar in a fit of anger, and I think probably going, I bet she had something to do with it. Uh, But anyway, to please his wife, he gets rid of Joseph and sends him off to jail. That's got to be bad, right? But here's the thing. It wasn't any jail. It was the king's prison. Evidently, there was more than one. And he could have gone to any jail, but for some reason, Potiphar sends him to that one where the king's prisoners were kept. Is that bad or good? Well, I'm going to put it in the middle here and say it's not so bad. Maybe the food was better. I don't know. But whichever way it goes, it's still bad that he's in jail, but at least he's in a place where influential people gather. And if ever you hope to have some opportunity to get out of there, probably that's the best place to go. And so he's in the king's prison and he becomes the manager again of the entire thing. Is that good or bad? That's good. He can move around freely around the jail. He's not stuck in his cell. He gets to go around and be able to chat to the other prisoners. That's how come when he meets the king's cupbearer, this is getting hard to write, uh, king's cupbearer and the king's baker. That doesn't... Here's a loaf of bread. No, no, just better write bread. I'll just get lower and lower. So he, gets, he meets the king's cupbearer and the king's baker. And he prophesies to them. And, and you go, is that good or bad? Well, it's good, isn't it? The Holy Spirit's using him in a difficult place. We're going to give that a tick and say that's good. So have a look at the moment. Look, we're, we're kind of filling up both columns. Listen to me tonight. You are going to fill up both columns of your life. Are you with me? Come on. Christians want to fill up this one. We're going to go, oh God, you know, now I'm following Jesus. Everything's beautiful. Everything is beautiful. We want every day to be sweet. We want fellowship with Jesus. We want the Holy Spirit. Oh, every moment. Oh, yeah. And every prayer. Ooh. And we want to have Holy Spirit woos every second of the day. Hey, listen, I'm a big fan of Holy Spirit woos. Huh? I mean, I've had lots of them and I love them. I've had all kinds of stuff, but I've discovered this. Life fills up both columns. And so he gets into this place where he meets these two guys. Now, I want you to, to think about this because use your brain here. The king's baker bakes the bread where? In the kitchen. I love the way everyone's going like, I don't want to be wrong. Yeah, it's all right. It's in the kitchen. 
And traditionally in those places, the kitchen is not where the throne is. The king doesn't sit at the other end and top of the oven. The Pharaoh sit in front of the oven and go, woo. You know, they don't bring out a loaf of bread and the flour and the yeast and all that stuff and make it in front of him. So the king's baker is an out of sight guy. He might be the king's baker, but he's, he's got no access to Pharaoh. But this guy, he's the king's cupbearer. He comes up to Pharaoh, says, Your Majesty. And the Pharaoh would say, sip it first. Wait 30 seconds. He doesn't die. Pleasure. It's my wife, by the way, so she's totally fine for her to drink. I'm not, yeah, anyway. Uh, So here we go. And this guy is that close to Pharaoh. He hears Pharaoh's conversation every day because his job is to stand there with a tray with the drink on it, ready for Pharaoh. Pharaoh, you thirsty? Would you like something? Can I get you some? A tonic water? A mango lassie? How many people have ever had a mango lassie? How many people believe that they are just a beautiful drink and there'll be some of them in heaven for sure? So this guy's right there. Which of the guys does he prophesy restoration to? That one. Imagine if it had been the other guys just down the oven, <laughs> kneading away, making bread, you know, and oh, I better remember Joseph. I'll carve a J in the top of the sourdough. Huh? It wouldn't have worked, would it? This guy, this is the guy right here. And we go, is that good or bad? That's good, isn't it? Yep. But then he's forgotten <laughs> for two years. Is that good or bad? Anybody in this building ever been forgotten? (laughs) Only one. (laughs) Only one person's ever been forgotten. Michael Parthen couldn't even remember his own name. (laughs) He'd definitely forgotten. (laughs) Now you're cool, man. Your mother's here tonight too. She's ever going, I was going to call him Thor. (laughs) (laughs) He's forgotten. Is that good? I'll lighten up. <laughs> Is that good or bad? It's bad, isn't it? Nobody likes being forgotten. But here's the deal again, because as I said, you're going to fill up both columns. And when you fill up both columns, you're going to get some bits like this where you go, this is so wrong. And where is God? And oh, listen, the biggest church in Australia, I asked someone wherever I was, I can't remember, somewhere rather than the last week or two, and I said, you know what the biggest church in Australia is? And they look at me and you know they're thinking Hillsong. I said, it's not the biggest church in Australia. I said, the biggest church in Australia is the church it used to go. Someone gets forgotten, someone gets overlooked, someone feels unappreciated. And all of a sudden, they just go, is this what I get? God, I was serving you faithfully. Is this how I get repaid? And so he gets forgotten. You go, that's terrible. No, I'm actually going to say to you, it's actually over here. Because the reality is that if, if this guy had gone up and immediately said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I met this guy, interpreted my dream, and he was amazing, Pharaoh's going to go, who cares? Huh? But it takes a season of time to go before Pharaoh finally has a dream. And he calls in all of his magicians and everybody else and asks them to interpret, and they can't. And all of a sudden, this guy remembers him. How good is that? 
It's really good. And all of a sudden, we're starting to fill up this car. Remember what I said to you? You know, bad is never permanent and good is always coming. And we see this guy start to get to that. Pharaoh gets him to come out, gives him new garments, never goes looking for the coat of many colours ever again. And he gets out of the jail, comes out of that place and gets made Prime Minister of all of Egypt. Second only to Pharaoh. How many people think that'd be good? Like that's just back to uber good, isn't it? Well, then finally his brothers come down to, to, to Egypt to buy grain. They don't know they're meeting Joseph because he doesn't look like the guy that they sold into slavery. Years and years have passed and all kinds of stuff's gone on. And so eventually, you know the end of the story, he goes back, gets his father, all of his brothers, 70 of them go down into Egypt. 70 of those people become the nucleus of the whole of the children of Israel. That we read about in the Exodus where they go out and they take all the wealth of all these people. The whole lot. Is that good? That's like ridiculously good. Huh? Bad is never permanent. Good is always coming. And you need to understand that Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 is not some kind of God trying to make you feel okay about the rubbish that's going on in your life. It's not God trying to say, there, there, don't worry in the sweet by and by, don't worry, one day you'll go to heaven. It's God saying, I've got a plan for your life. There's stuff, listen to me, maybe some of you here tonight, you're filling up the bad column. And you're looking at what's going on in there, that thing that went wrong. And you're looking and it seems like the ticks are mounting over in the bad column. And I did all of this because I want you to understand, I pray you'll get it. We can have some fun. But there's a deep and profound and powerful truth in all of this is that bad is never permanent and good is always coming. Bad is never permanent. Good is always coming. Why? Because the Bible says that we know that all things work together for good. This morning I had a fruit tree up here and I pruned off not only the branch that had no fruit on it, but pruned off the one that did have fruit on it, which is what John 15 says will happen. But when we get fruit pruned off our life, when difficulty or something happens that slows up our pace or our vision, we all start going, oh my God, what is going on? God says, hold on a second here. Let me just give you quickly just five things about this whole passage and about the reversal of fortune in your life. Number one, it's not what happens to me that matters most, but what I do with what happens to me. Listen, I'm not trying to give you just some positive mental attitude stuff. I'm giving it to you based out of Romans 28, 8 verse 28. It's not what happens to me. Paul is shipwrecked. But the nation of Malta has a Christian heritage because one man, when he got shipwrecked, when he lost everything he owned, when he's cold and he's wet and he's miserable, and when a snake comes out of the fire and bites him and everybody says he deserves everything he's getting right now, 
proud so-and-so. Look what's happening to him now. He shakes it off into the fire and he says, I know that all things work together for good. And he leads a man to Christ who just happens to be, because he just happens to land outside of his house. He just happens to get shipwrecked at his doorstep. And he just happens to find out. And Publius's father just happens to be sick. He just happens to pray and he just happens to get well. And out of the entire thing, a nation has now got a Christian heritage because somebody let the bad column fill up without checking out, without giving up, without being depressed and disgusted and upset with God. They let the bad column fill up saying, good is always coming in my life, in Jesus' name. Here's the second thing I learned out of all this is that total clarity belongs only to God. See, both those stories, they make sense to you. But you know why? It's because you read the whole story in one go. Huh? So, you know, we show Joseph and we'll go, woohoo. We know that he becomes Prime Minister of Egypt, becomes the favoured man, gets the prime of the land. We know about the, the, the children of Israel coming out into the Exodus. We know about Paul and the shipwreck. And I told you about the history of Malta. But here's the problem your story's not finished. Huh? My story's not finished. And so I'm looking at the bad from the perspective of I'm in it and what's going on. And I'm not seeing the end of the story. And we make a terrible mistake. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, written to Christians, spirit-filled believers. Written to Christians says this. It says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, when we get to heaven face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. There is coming a day when you get to heaven, if you're a believer, where you'll know everything. You won't be standing before the throne of God going, why, why, why? You'll know the whole lot. You'll see the whole thing. But until then, you're looking through a window that's blurry. You're looking through glass that's not clear. You're looking at stuff going, what on earth's going on with my life? Total clarity belongs only to God. Here's number three. Do your best wherever you are as long as you're there. Both these guys that we're talking about, both Joseph and Paul, they just carried on going, you know what? I don't like this. I don't like the column of bad. But you know what? I'm going to serve God while I'm here where I am. Come on, are you with me here tonight? This is not, I realise this is not a light easy, it might be simple, but it's not an easy message to put into practice. It's actually a blooming hard one to put into practice in our life. Because when I'm in the middle of this and and there's only one tick over here or two ticks over here and I'm filling up this column awful fast and I can't see what's going on, the temptation is to start to, to think to yourself, you know what? Well, hello, if that's the way things are, who gives a rip? And that's where Christians stop reading their Bible. They stop praying. They stop going to church. They stop tithing. You know, I remember telling God, I was only a new Christian. I said, well, because my car broke down. I said, well, God, if that's what you get for tithing, I'm never tithing again. And I remember telling him that. I can tell you where I was, actually. I remember the location. I remember the side of the mountain I was on when I told him that. Well, I said that out of my mouth. And then about 20 seconds later, I realised what an idiot kind of a statement that was, that I'm just telling God, well, God, I'm not going to give you my $7.50. 
because that's about how much of a tithe was back then for me. It's a long time ago. And I remember thinking like, hello, like he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and now he's going to be broken hearted and change everything because you said I'm not giving you $7.50 a week. Huh? Nuts. Do your best wherever you are, as long as you are there. Come on, come on. I'm looking for more resilient Christians, not those little dandelion Christians. You know, the ones that when a little breeze comes, you know, they lose everything. It's all, you know, it's just all gone. I'm looking for Christians that go, oh God, I'm going to hang in here and I'm going to grind this out and I'm going to believe no matter what and I'm going to stand strong no matter what and I don't care what the devil brings, but I'm going to stand strong in Jesus' Name and I'm going to have a spirit of faith and not a feeling of faith. I'm going to walk with God and no matter what happens till hell freezes over, I'm going to keep going. That's what I'm looking for. Amen. I've got a funny feeling. That's what God's looking for. Here's number four. Nothing can stop the will of God. Daniel chapter four, verse 35. It's a great verse part of it to remember at any rate. Because it says, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does, God, according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No man can restrain his hand or say to him, what are you doing? No one can stop it. You know, There isn't a person or a demon that can prevent the will of God for your life coming to pass. Come on. Now, the devil wants to tell you, you're finished, you're washed up, it's all over. Bar the shouting. But that's not true. So keep your expectations high. Nothing can stop the will of God. Bad is never permanent. Good is always coming. So I'm looking for the good. I'm expecting good. Because some of you are looking at me like, this is just you know, not your world. But I tell you what, you know, uh, I, I, got a, I get prophetic words from time to time uh, from people that, you know, friends of mine that are established and that are, are credible and have got a track record. I'm telling you, I print that thing out. I said to the last guy, I said, would you send me that on an email? Because he told me over the phone. He didn't know what was going on. And he said, he said, I see this and this and this is happening and, and what's going on. I said, send that to me an email. I printed it out and stuck it up on the mirror of our ensuite. And almost every morning, almost every morning, I look at it and I read it. And I'm reading there what God says about my, because my expectations are, God, you're going to bring this to pass. Somehow, come on, are you with me here? Uh, God, I'm going to keep my expectations high. Here's the last one. Fifth one, the highest expression of any relationship is trust. Our daughter, our youngest daughter got married last week. We were over in New South Wales, northern New South Wales for the wedding. And I watched this young couple in their 20s stand up there and say, I give you my life. And I remember thinking how ridiculous it is. Because they have no idea what lies in front of them. They haven't got a clue, but you know what? They're making a commitment based on trust. They don't know. I mean, they've been dating for how long? A year and a half or whatever. And look, you don't know. You don't know what the person's going to be like 10 years down the road. You haven't got a clue. But the highest expression of any relationship is trust. The more you love someone, the more trust is given and the more trust is required. The closer, come on, the closer you have a relationship with them. Listen, I don't need to trust my neighbour down the end of the street. 
I don't really have to trust him. I just, if I'm having a conversation, I trust he's not an axe murderer. But that's it. Huh? I don't have to have great trust for him. But my wife, on the other hand, wow, the whole of marriage is a lifelong journey of trust. I trust you. I trust your heart. And so that means that when she says something or I say something, you know, that is a little bit, you know, a pressure kind of a statement being made there, like, hello, something out of the bad column. We go, that's it. Why? Because the closer you are to someone and the more you love them, the more trust gets given and the more trust gets required. When I don't know, when I can't tell, when I'm not sure, I trust God. Amen. I trust God. I want you to think about this. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. If you can, up there in CG, put that first verse up all over again, if you will, for me. Because it says this, for we know that all things. Come on, are you with me here tonight? Because some of you here in this place, you're filling up the bad column. And you're wondering when you're going to get something to put in the good. And you're wondering how this is going to happen. And God, I've got this bill piling up. Bad column. And God, I had that happen physically. Another tick for the bad column. And God, you know, I'm just not sure about what direction I'm supposed to take and another tick goes in the bad column. Bad is never permanent. Good is always coming to your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. I believe it. If you believe it, say amen. Amen, amen, amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight in Jesus' name. Can we just stand, team, just please come and begin to play. I want us to just to worship for a minute because I know tonight that there are some of you here in this building and you're, you're filling up the bad column and I want you to say from your heart, God, tonight I trust you. God, I trust you. Lord, thank you. God, I trust you with my life and I trust you with what's going on. I know, God, ultimately you're going to make this work out for my good. I, you know, and here's the deal. Paul didn't know the end of the story until the end of the story happened. Joseph didn't know the end of the story until the end of the story happened. I don't have to know it now. I've just got to know Romans 8.28. For we know, not every detail. For we know what? That all things work together for good. Come on, stand with me a minute. If that's you in this place, just stand up wherever you are in the building. Stand up before God and say, God, I'm going to trust you tonight. Lord, I'm going to allow you to work in my life. We're going to sing just thank you, Nat, if you would just lead us. He gives me a reason to trust Him. I feel tonight I'm not in a hurry and we'll get out there for all the stuff we've got to do. But I feel all the way through this service and before it, I feel like this is a turning point for some of you here. Some of you here, it's like the weight of it all. And yes, but, and the enemy's been telling you, yeah, well, look at that. And see that there? And this means this. And a whole lot of junk and a whole lot of nonsense. And tonight you just need to stand before God and say, God, I trust you. That's all I've got to know. All I've got to know is that you are working this out and somehow or other beyond what I can see, you're going to bring it to pass in Jesus' name. Come on, let's lift our hands and worship God together. Thanks, Nat. And I will build
Mama.